0: Petty unemployment politics. What a week. My name is Matt Sinovic. I'm the executive director of Progress Iowa.
1: I am the Executive Communications Director of
0: Progress Iowa. Welcome to what a week with hot takes about the week's news and shout outs for people doing good in the world. This week we talk with Colin Gordon, a senior research consultant with Common Good Iowa about Iowa's federal unemployment ending. But we start with what made headlines this past week and we are going to jump right into the big news. We're recording on Friday, June 11th and I believe as of tomorrow. Iowa will no longer be participating in the federal unemployment program that gives people an extra $300 per week if they're on unemployment. Um, Ivy, this is a, just a slap in the face to um, Iowa families that are struggling. And I mean, I, um, I know you agree with me on that, but what is your take on this just terrible decision by, uh, by the governor?
1: I mean, I think it really is just a partisan ploy because a lot of research has gone into showing that this won't even push people back to work, really, which is the reason that Reynolds gave. I know that after the $600 six benefits were cut, there's research that an impact wasn't even substantial for getting people back to work with that. So it's really just we need to help people get childcare. care and um, you know services to get them back to work we shouldn't just push them by cutting off their benefits so I think it's really such a shame that this is the way Reynolds decided to go
0: yeah I um I obviously I agree but I just think like this is it's it's backwards too and we talked about this um during what a, what's really a, was a, I thought it was a good discussion with Colin but I mean they, they if 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 Republicans or specifically Republican Governor Kim Reynolds, believes in the market, believes in the marketplace, he made a good point that, I mean, let the market work. And if people really are getting, if they're not making enough to go back to work, then employers would, in theory, increase their wages. And, and then as a, as one way to recruit people back in, or it'd be childcare or it'd be workplace safety or it'd be, you know, a combination of all these things that, um, that people would, would see and and want to, and, and, and get a good job, um, not just any job that can literally help them scrape by. So, um, and it's just her taking sides with, uh, corporations instead of, um instead of Iowa families. And it's not surprising, but it's what we've come to expect from this governor. So, exactly. um, so I, I, uh, I hope that, uh, that, that this, that, that this changes we're encouraging people to call the governor's office. Um, uh, but, but as of right now that this is, we are not participating in this federal program anymore.
1: So more news on horrible things that Reynolds is doing. Um, so, she just signed this bill to ban divisive concepts from diversity trainings in school curriculum. Uh, this is really just ridiculous basically because now we can't learn about systematic racism and implicit bias without, you know, the fear that people are breaking the law. So I doubt that it will be easy for teachers to teach about these concepts. You know, I just think it's really such a shame that she's doing this.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the thing that you, I keep coming back to is that we want students to have a real and honest education. You know, we want, um, when you're teaching about American history or whatever the history might be, it needs to be an accurate depiction. And that doesn't mean that every single thing that our country's done has been terrible, but like, but you know, when you talk about slavery or segregation or, you know, those parts of our, of our history, you talk about them honestly and openly and, um, and know that like, this was just an accepted practice. It's not like, I mean, only the only like terrible people did this or, you know, like, but there were people who went through life and allowed it to happen and benefited from it, even though they weren't directly responsible for writing the laws. I mean, just sort of that knowledge about what has happened in the past, I think can help educate us and know that and and prevent it from happening again too, because some of the voter suppression laws and some of the other um, pieces of legislation that are floating through right now have shade, certainly have shades of, um, of policies from years past. And that is, I mean, if you don't learn, what is it? You don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. So I, I think um, um, learning about all of this is, is so important, um, about mm-hmm. all of our history.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it even ties into the earlier topic about federal unemployment ending, the fact that people of color have experienced greater job loss and have experienced uh, slower hiring rates. Than white individuals, and so they're going to be affected more through federal unemployment. But you know, we can't really learn about like why this is and what's the stem cause of this, pretty much because Reynolds is saying, "Well, let's just hide the truth. We'll keep benefiting from it." So, well, uh, more news this week: uh, Reynolds signed F- SF five sixty eight, uh, making it more even more difficult to have another individual return a ballot for you. So in the original um, voter suppression bill that she already signed, it said that, you know, you can't have random people or even people that are helping you really return the ballot. But now it goes even further where it has to be only a family member or someone living in your house to to do that. You can't have, you know, your designated caretaker do that now.
0: Yeah, this is just one other way to chip away at making or, or chip away at access to the ballot and making it just a little bit harder for people to vote. Um, not just a little bit, very much harder, but, um, but taken in its, in, in its whole, what they've done the last few years, especially this year is just, is just nudge toward that limiting ballot access, limiting, um, uh, uh the, the ease at which people can, can, exercise their right to vote. And that's, that is the point of what they're doing. Um, so we're really grateful that folks at LULAC and Mark Elias have, have uh, filed another lawsuit on this and, and are trying to push this uh, away or push, you know, push this, uh, demonstrate how illegal this or, or how inappropriate this action is, but, or this new law is, but, um, but I think what it really, what we really do need is this, is some sort of federal guideline about what about how to vote and or how we can all make sure we have the right to vote. So, um another example of the governor following the far right playbook, but um but that's that's where she's at right now.
1: Right, hopefully uh the For the People Act gets passed in the Senate so that we can kind of have uh these rights, you know, laid out for us for sure. Yeah. Next up we're going to talk about some national news, some good news finally. So, The Keystone XL developer has said that they're canceling the pipeline project. Woo. Exciting.
0: Yeah. It's great. news. Yeah. Yeah. It's great news. And I think there's a, I mean, it's great news that this is happening um, or that it's canceled. And like, and um, I think that it's, it's a, it's a win. It's a symbolic win too for, um, uh, for climate as well. Um, And, um, but I also think that, like, if uh, that hopefully the the um, the Biden's infrastructure bill passes, because like this the one back and sort of tug back and forth on this is this would have been however many jobs you know coming through. Yeah. But I think that we always have to think consider the know that by moving toward a climate friendly economy or climate friendly uh, policies in in the country. Um, and, and uh, um, as we look forward, like there are so many uh, job opportunities uh, out there, if there's an, if there is investment in it in that type of infrastructure. So, um, so this is a good, this is a good um, outcome, but, uh, uh, but also want to keep keep pushing so that we can get um, the infrastructure that we need to have a great uh, or, or to to adequately respond to the climate crisis and make sure that, that uh, everyone who wants a good job can have one. So
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah. Next up, we talk about the hot takes of the week where we give our opinions on the hot topics. Uh, first up, did you see this article basically confirming what we already know that the wealthiest can avoid their income taxes? They barely pay any.
0: Yeah. We need a wealth tax. This is my hot take. Yeah. It's not a hot take. We need a wealth tax. We need a, mm-hmm. um, we need something to, chip away at this because like, there's, I mean, it's obscene and like, and, and it's, um, when, when we're fighting over who can go to a doctor and not go broke and, um, people paying, uh, people just paying obscene amounts for, for life-saving medicine and then, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and whoever else is, just, they're just not paying taxes. Like, give me a break. No, like we, we there's got to be something to be done about this.
1: Exactly. There's no reason to be why someone should have that much money, especially if they're not going to be putting it right back into the economy. Because I know a lot of low wage workers and even like uh, regular families, they're spending most of their money that they get so they're really helping the economy but it doesn't look that way for the rest.
0: So right. Yeah. And I will say too another hot take about this is that Senator Grassley is just gone off the deep end. Like he's he was more con- he talked about this this week but he was much more concerned about the fact that the information was leaked than the <sighs> fact that you know, you have basically billionaire Lex Luthor types getting away with um with with financial murder here, so like it's it's um, another example of of Chuck Grassley just just being so far gone and in the pocket of 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 the ultra ultra wealthy.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, next up on Hot Takes, some fun news: Harry and Meghan announced the birth of their daughter, Lilibet Diana. Uh, I love the name. Thoughts on the name? Um,
0: good, great uh grand and wonderful um i i did see this and i've been told that it was that the, it's that little bit or lily was somehow connected with with the queen it was her nickname or something It was some connection yeah i guess there. it's
1: a nickname for elizabeth yeah. i didn't understand how it was but i guess it is so there we yeah. go <laughs> i don't uh
0: i don't know really know entirely but it's a it's a cute name and mm. congratulations to harry
1: yeah Very exciting that the middle name's Diana as well. I saw some like silly posts from mainly UK media saying, oh, they didn't ask for permission to use the name. And then like it comes out that they did ask permission to use the name from Queen Elizabeth.
0: It's just ridiculous. They would have had to ask for the permission to use Lilibet or Lily. Is that right? Yeah. Oh.
1: After Queen Elizabeth. Okay. They'll attack them on anything. So I just thought that was annoying, but you know, my hot take is that I hate UK media. So it's It's a strong word, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. It's fair. It's fair. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Up next, we had a really good discussion with Colin Gordon, the senior research consultant with Common Good Iowa. If you have not, um, if you've not heard of their organization, we'd encourage you to check it out. Common Good Iowa uh, does wonderful research and puts out great factual information about public policy in the state of Iowa, and they're a great resource for progressives, and really any Iowa policymaker, uh, reporter, and anyone who cares about the future of our state should check them out. So here's our discussion with Colin Gordon, the Senior Research Consultant with Common Good Iowa. Joining us now on what a week is Colin Gordon, a Senior Research Consultant with Common Good Iowa. Colin, thank you so much for, for being with us
2: today. It's good to be here.
0: Um, and Colin's here to uh, talk about the upcoming um, uh, uh, cut of unemployment benefits, um, and and the fact that Iowa has decided to opt out of of offering those federal unemployment benefits. So um, I have a a lot of questions about this, Colin. But but from your take, it, could you just give us give folks listening the big picture of what is happening? Um, when this, uh, when just, what is going on with this, with this decision that governor Reynolds made?
2: Yeah, well, um, I mean, the big picture is that, you know, since the passage of the cares act, uh, we've had these of three fundamental, uh, extensions of unemployment insurance all paid for, you know, 100% with federal dollars. Uh, one of those is the bump in the regular benefit that used to be 600 and now is three. Um, One is the extension of unemployment insurance to people who wouldn't normally uh, qualify, you know, uh, artists, independent contractors, gig workers, that sort of thing. And then the third piece, which happens in any economic downturn is a federally financed extension of benefits for an extra 13 weeks. And in a pretty unprecedented fashion, Iowa is one of actually 25 states, um, all Republican led, uh, that are just uh, as of uh, June 12th in Iowa uh, turning down all the all the federal money. Um, so this doesn't save uh, any state dollars um, and in fact, you know puts a lot of uh, working families and working Iowans uh, at immediate risk
0: so and and what I've read in reports is that it's around thirty three thousand um, Iowans is that is that right? is that? Yeah, that's uh, the uh, the numbers are proposed. a little bit
2: hard to hard to pin down because uh, we have sort of competing counts of the unemployed. One count would be those who apply for unemployment insurance. Uh, another would be is the sort of survey by, based account that comes out uh, once a month. The other problem is that with with all of these different uh, benefit streams, states are sort of struggling not to undercount or overcount uh, sure. who's actually receiving. So. Yeah, roughly the 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 rough numbers in Iowa are there's about sixty thousand unemployed, that is people uh, out of work and looking for work, and about half of those are currently getting benefits of some form.
0: Okay, so if I have there's a there's a I mean this is an incredibly in our opinion incredibly disappointing and and bizarre decision. Um, uh, maybe not when you get into the politics of it from the policy side, but before we get into any of that. I wonder if, if there's if there are people listening who who want to who are in this situation, is there anything they can do about this? Is there something that they can do to, um, maybe not appeal, but like what what would you suggest to a family that is that is in this situation but having their this benefit cut?
2: Well, there is no uh, appeal process. I mean, the, the the programs will simply cease to exist in Iowa and in the other states that are canceling them um you know i iowa workforce development you know on top of this has has been aggressively going after people that it deems uh to have um that it claims that uh received too much benefits uh, going back as far as march uh so you know workforce development has always had sort of a moving target as to who qualifies and you know for a brief flicker uh there was uh relative generosity in terms of of allowing workers who, you know, didn't feel safe going to work and that sort of thing to qualify for benefits. But then as workforce development changed its rules, they started to claw back those benefits, you know? So, so not only are you faced with uh, no benefits going forward, uh, but at risk of being asked to repay a relatively large bill. Sure.
0: Okay. Well,
2: that's unfortunate. That was
0: kind of what I, what we assumed, but I at least wanted to ask because this is a, I mean, When you're talking about and this is a big chunk of of money coming out of someone's budget so let's get into the um some of the the uh, the policy implications of this because of course what uh governor reynolds or others in, in, in some of the red state governors that have made this similar decision you mentioned more one of 25 states they argue that there's a um that they're that people are waiting to go back to work because they're getting this, um, increased, uh, paycheck or not paycheck, but they're getting this extra $300. Um, has that been your sense? Are there places, has that been your sense? And also, um, are there other States where this has happened already that we could take any lessons from or, or kind of know what's coming for Iowa?
2: Well, um, yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, the, the question of whether, Relatively generous unemployment insurance benefits act as a disincentive to work um, has actually been pretty thoroughly researched in the context of the extra 600 that we had uh, through through most of last spring and summer. And you know the the upshot of that research was no, it doesn't encourage people to stay out of work that people were were almost always staying out of the labor force for other reasons, you know, because their kids weren't at school because the child cares uh, were shuttered because they didn't feel safe. Uh, going to work uh, in a workplace that wasn't uh, providing um, adequate, uh, you know, safety measures or social distancing uh, or that sort of thing. I mean, it's important to to recognize in the context of Iowa that, you know, you have this argument that, oh, people won't get to work because they're getting the extra 300 bucks. There are about 150,000 Iowans who are in one way or another displaced from where they were in the labor market a year and a half ago. Um, only 30,000 of those are currently getting benefits. So you're only incentivizing, you know, in, in Reynolds view, a very small share of those. In fact, the vast majority, almost a hundred thousand have dropped out of the labor market entirely, uh, because they, you know, uh, couldn't go to work while their kids weren't in school or while, uh, childcare, uh, was shuttered. Um, so this over- overwhelmingly falls on, uh, uh, working women and, uh, Pulling employment benefits is not going to change their incentive structure at all. So
0: what I mean, if if you were advising the governor, um, other than my guess is not making this decision, um, first of all, um, what would be your advice? Like, What would a what would a policy look like that would make sense to you to um, uh, to encourage people to to get back to work or really just to to support? Um, support Iowa families because that's what it's, in my opinion, what it's about. Whether or not both people in a household are working, or or everyone has, um, uh, the the job that the governor thinks that they should. Just making sure that Iowa families get the support that they need. What would be your your advice?
2: Well, I mean, the the first argument I think you know to a uh, Republican sort of market market oriented uh, administration is let the labor market work. I mean, if there is a labor shortage, uh, then the response to that, and the evidence for that is rising wages. And, you know- and we so have seen evidence of, of that. Work. Yeah, in other yeah. states,
0: you see the yeah. news articles about, oh, this local restaurant increased their pay to 15, 18, $20 dollars an hour and had a flood of applications, so.
2: Yeah, so the problem, the, so, and, but, you know, the important thing to recognize is, you know, if you believe in the market, in supply and demand, <laughs> then, then just, you know, let it go and let the, you know, the price of labor reach its, its equilibrium, uh, which would be much higher than 725 an hour. Right. Um, and you're much better off, uh, you know, it's much more consistent with the sort of conservative market philosophy to just let that play out. Than it is to sort of chop the legs out from underneath workers uh, with this sort of petty uh, policy move, uh, in the hope that you know they have to go back to work uh, as an alternative to starving. You know, petty it's also policy reco-
0: move. That's oh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I mean it's also important, uh, you know, to recognize that not a lot of progress has been made in re- making workplaces safe. You know, the pandemic is not over. Uh, you know, we're. We've only reached a certain threshold of vaccinations. Um, You know, it's still possible to get the virus if you've been vaccinated and there are other strains out there. And so it's understandable uh, that people are reluctant to go back into frontline work, to go back into, uh, you know, the meatpacking disassembly line under current work conditions. And you know, it's important to recognize that one of the core components of both federal and state unemployment insurance law is the right of workers to draw unemployment benefits if they feel that their workplace is not safe. Um,
0: and I, I really think you, I mean, a, a petty policy move is probably the best description I've heard of what this, of what this is. And to take it a step further, this isn't, and this isn't entirely on this topic, but I, I mean, I don't know how I want to ask you this because I know you all at at Common Good, Iowa, and before that, the Iowa Policy Project have done a lot of research on on taxes and budget in the state of Iowa. And this is not just the case in Iowa, in my opinion. But how do you think they wrap their head around? or can you make sense out of this at all? Like they they to incentivize um someone who is on unemployment to go back to work, they give them less money. Um, and yet to incentivize, um a corporation in the state to do something they give them more money or they give them tax breaks um, or in some cases like the research activities credit they literally cut them a check and give them more money i don't i mean those, those are two very different tactics for two very different for two different sets of people
2: um and i don't I, can you make any sense of that um well i mean i think the sense that we can make of it which is you know sort of implied by your question is it's not about incentives. It's not about, I mean, we know for the example, with the research activities, credit, um, and other, uh, uh, corporate tax breaks that, you know, state policy is incentivizing, uh, things that corporations would have done anyway. So they're just, you know, right. they're just giving up on that tax revenue essentially. And, you know, by the same token, the, you know, the incentive, as I, uh, talked about a little bit earlier, the supposed incentive that is going to, uh, unemployed that is being, um, on unemployment Iowans, it's not going to make any difference in terms of people going back. So it's really, uh, you know, more about uh, sending signals about this being a sort of business friendly investment environment and one that's not going to protect workers. Um, And it's about, you know, about redistribution, about where the rewards of the economy go.
0: Yeah, and not about, sounds like you're saying it's not about any sort of sound economic policy for our state.
2: Right. Right. And, and, you know, as I suggested earlier, or consistent it's, for it's, that matter, yeah, yeah, it's completely inconsistent with a sort of market approach of letting, you know, letting prices reach their, uh, uh, natural level. And it also, you know, is, is a remarkably, um, sort of, you know, short-sighted and, and, and ill thought out, uh, view of the labor market, because, you know, what Iowa workforce development is essentially saying is, Hey, you know, a worker in Davenport is getting an extra, uh, 300 bucks a month. Meanwhile, High vee and Ankeny can't get, doesn't have enough workers. They just think workers are perfectly elastic and perfectly fungible right. and can fill all the available, um, slots. But you know, the fact is a lot of those jobs that are supposedly going begging are low wage jobs. They're jobs that are, um, that workers would have to, you know, make significant sort of family commuting sacrifices in order to uh uh to take those jobs and again our unemployment insurance system is clear that that's not an expectation that you take any job in the state that's available you're not expected to to, you know undertake a long commute or pick up your family and move somewhere else in order in order to take a job
0: right is there any kind of uh um, mapping out of where people are in general, or and where versus where jobs are, has that? Have you all done anything like that? And and compare that, and and also the wages that that some of these openings are offering, um, just to kind of get a sense of what what's uh, of what's going on. I totally understand the the fact that it's been researched, especially given the six hundred dollars extra, you know, um, over the course of the last um, year or so. Um, but uh, has the anything like that, to your knowledge, been done, or is that information out there?
2: Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, not specifically on the three hundred dollar question, um, but there's lots of research about the sort of stickiness of the labor market. You know, and one way to illustrate that is just to, just to recognize that we have you know relatively high labor force participation rates in Iowa, especially for women, much higher than the national average, so that most households are two earner households if one of those is unemployed and the other is employed, you know, you can't expect that family to move for a job or to, um, you know, to uproot themselves uh, in that way. So, you know, there's a tremendous amount of, of, you know, what economists would call frictional unemployment. That is just a sort of mismatch between workers and jobs. And we would expect coming out of a, of a uh, pandemic recession, that it's going to take a little time for that, um, that frictional unemployment to sort itself out. But, you know, you know, and the the other thing that that I think is just uh, so extraordinarily sort of short sighted and destructive about this is, you know, going back to the fact that every single dollar that uh, is disappearing from Iowa starting tomorrow, are federal dollars is none of it, none of it is state money. And most of it is taxable. So the state is getting income tax revenues. It's getting sales tax revenues. Um, you know, one of the reasons why the pandemic recession was not a much more of a fiscal disaster for a state like Iowa is because the exp- extended unemployment benefits, uh, kept those income and sales tax revenues, uh, flowing.
0: Right. I have to believe too, that, and, and maybe there's a way for you to, to, Uh, put a dollar number on this maybe not but but with that that extra money coming into the state not only is it not hitting the or coming out of the state budget but it's also those that those dollars are going to you know to get carry out at a restaurant to go buy whatever at target to go you know that money is getting pumped into the local into the local economy in a variety of different ways. And I have to believe that's going to be a loss, um, at some level. Yeah.
2: And And there's, you know, so economists call this the sort of multiplier effect that you, you, you know, you drop some money from something like, you know, say, you know, typically they count this for things like conventions or sporting events or concerts or something, you know, people are going to spend X amount of dollars and it gets multiplied through the local economy. But, you know, as, as you suggest, that multiplier effect is exaggerated. Um, when you're talking about money that's going mostly to uh, people at the lower end of the income distribution, because all of that money is spent. Whereas, you know, if you, if you're, uh, you're bringing in money at the higher end of the distribution, some of it will just go into savings accounts and that sort of thing. So, you know, the best estimate or the rough estimate, I would say of economists is that, you know, for every dollar, for every federal dollar that comes into the state, um, goes into the pocket, uh, of a low income worker. It, it you could multiply that by about one point two or one point three, uh, okay, in terms of uh, that that dollar being spent uh, again and again. Well,
0: this is all very, I mean it, it's it's very interesting to get your take on this, and it is a really a, a tragic move for the state. Um, and I hope that that not that that too many of these families aren't won't needlessly suffer for or be impacted for for too long, but um, what's your forecast? Like, what's your uh, opinion about how like how long it will take for um, the job market to settle down for hopefully things to get better? Um, or what's your uh, uh, sort of prognosis for the immediate future for the state's labor market?
2: Well, I mean, it's. You know, um, I mean, I think the the economy uh, will continue on its sort of slow recovery, mapping the the national recovery, uh, but that's going to be of um, limited benefit to uh, a lot of working Iowans because our labor standards are just you know uh, barrel scraping, 7.25 uh, minimum wage, very little enforcement on wage theft and employee misclassification. Uh, absolutely sort of pathetic uh, occupational health and safety standards by uh, national standards um you know one in four of uh the iowans that will lose benefits tomorrow are workers of color uh and so and so it's uh stretching out the sort of racial inequities that are baked into our labor market and you know the replacement rate the share of of uh of your wages that you were getting back in unemployment insurance is going to go from 88% today to 48% tomorrow. Wow. And you know, that makes a big difference when you know you're on a household budget where every dollar that comes in goes out, you know, for food, rent, and clothing and healthcare, which is typical of most families.
0: Yeah. And I I know you all have done some work on this and I've seen information put out by, by other organizations too, like that. I mean, there are so many families that a, um, a, a, a broken down car or an emergency, a medical expense. Uh, they're just one, one item like that, or one incident like that away from, from a financial crisis. Um, and, and so this is the, um, the governor, in my opinion is putting that financial crisis on some of these families uh, starting, starting this week. So um, I, I, it's just mind boggling to me that, that, that they made this decision, but, um, or that she made this decision. Um, before we go, is there anything else that you want to make sure that if, if there's a, um, activist listening or a, a policymakers listening, like what people can do to, to, uh, either fight back against this or like what information do you think they should have as they're, as they're speaking with their, uh, elected officials that might be helpful in their, in the cause?
2: Oh man. Um, that's a big I mean, one. That's you know, a big question. Yeah, so. it's it's a big one. I mean, you know, one of the one of the big challenges that we have, uh, you know, in this country is that so much of our social safety net is controlled by the states, and when you have uh, trifecta Republican-led uh, 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 governments or administrations like we do in Iowa, you run a real danger of of just having this race to the bottom, um, and on on the conviction that. Uh, you know, the closer people are to starvation, the more likely they are to work for starvation wages. Um, You know, it's important to recognize, you know, I'm an historian by training, and this is very uh, sort of novel behavior by states. Only since the Great Recession have we seen these conservative states willingly turn down federal money. You know, they're not doing it for, uh, you know, to save their own uh, fiscal situation or to stop spending money. They're actually... Uh, you know, it used to be the case that these poor, predominantly southern states would lap up all the federal money they could get in order to reduce their own, uh, their own spending. And now you have, uh, for no good reason, states like Iowa turning down that federal money uh, in such a way that offers no benefit to, uh, you know, the the state coffers and considerable pain uh, to their own citizens. Yeah, I think that's a really
0: good way to put it. So, if anyone's listening and wants and and is able to call the governor's office, um, and and question why she's doing this, I mean, this is these are people's livelihoods, and and shouldn't be um, caught in the, in political crossfire, which is what it what it certainly seems like. So, um, Colin, uh, thank you for joining us. Really, thank you for all the work that you and and the folks at Common Good Iowa do. Um, uh, it's it's really uh, for for anyone listening who has not been to their website, uh, please check it out and and uh, you you will come away with with a great deal of information about uh, policy in the state. So um, just thanks again for for being here today.
2: Great, thanks, Matt.
1: Next up, we have our shout outs, where we lift up great work happening all over the state. If you have any recommendations, please send them to at Pockers Iowa or at Pollock uh, This week, we really want to shout out the Groundwork Collaborative and a lot of other organizations did this work as well, researching the consequences of ending federal unemployment so that Iowans and others can know the truth behind the GOP governor's uh, political ploys. So very thankful for that as well. Yep. and Definitely want to even shout out Common Good Iowa. They're doing great work on that as well.
0: For sure, and we are gonna do everything we can to make sure that Iowans are have your information, have that information, and have the ability to speak out and contact their elected elected officials with it to encourage them to make better policy decisions. What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. We are mixed and edited by Greg Hallenstein. For more information, visit potluck.fm. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next week on What A Week.